This is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And I was thinking when I was editing our last one that the night we recorded that was the night that everybody in America, well, not really, but a lot of people were watching the Meghan and Harry interview on Oprah. Oh, yes. It was on. And I have something about that I want to talk about briefly. Do you want to talk briefly? Yeah, I know I'll that... talk about it. I got... Yeah. Okay, and we, and we both watched, even though we were recording that, we, we both watched it. And... I ended up watching it a couple nights later because right. everyone was talking about it, and I don't like to be left out. Well, and also, I know that people got gaga over, like, royals, the weddings mm. and shit, but this was something different anyway. Yes. It was different. But I, but I had something... Can, I'll say my thing. All right, that... you say your little... Rant My there. Little, oh, you knew it was going to be a rant, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, obviously, we're firmly in Team Megan and Harry camp, if you have to take sides on this. But I, and I know you too, Becky, have always been a little annoyed by the American obsession mm-hmm. with the royal family and the monarchy. And I'll say at the outset of my remarks here that the Meghan and Harry thing, like I said, it's different because it speaks to bigger issues. It's not like everybody getting excited over Will and Kate's wedding, which, by the way, they had to have on my fucking birthday. Um, Mm. Not that that has anything to do with it. But this is a bigger issue about racism and people's place in society. In any case, I know I've said many times on this podcast that we fought a revolution 245 plus years ago. Because we didn't want to be ruled by a monarchy. It was a king at the time, but it's the institution. And back then, you know, it was about economics and representation. And I won't go into the whole long history lesson. But one thing was clear. We would not have a king or a ruler, but we'd have a republic that was run as a democracy. And yes, it's flawed. I think almost every episode of this podcast in Mm -hmm. some way shows how our America is flawed. But the idea of royalty is not part of our country, and I think that's our advantage. I've never really gotten the whole idea of a monarchy. I mean, I know they've been in existence forever, and this particular one has been in existence for more than a thousand years. And part of that, I'm sure, has to do with our ancestry, where um, our ancestors not too long ago in County Clare, Ireland, you know, uh, Britain took the land and the language from the Irish people and then tried to starve them to death when they didn't Mm. want to buckle under And I know that's an oversimplification, but that's the bottom line. But aside from that, and aside from the amount of money it costs to maintain the monarchy, the bigger picture I've always felt is it sets every single person in the UK, as well as its colonies, that there are people in this world who are better than you, Mm -hmm. and they are simply better by virtue of their DNA. You can never be one of them. And while America, as I said, is far from perfect, including in issues surrounding class, We don't have a government structure that is based on the fact that some people are better than others. I know some people may think that's a simplistic way of looking at it, and I'm not sure why I keep apologizing for how I'm saying this, but I truly believe it filters down, and it may not be as bad as it was, but the message is still there. I have a friend who um, was at Oxford, the university, not the town in Maine, um, (laughs) and this was probably 20 years or so ago, and he told me he got flack from his British friends at Oxford because he became friends with a local guy who was a janitor at the university. And they said, you you can't be friends with somebody who's a janitor. And mm. he was like, why why not? You know, I'm related to janitors. You know, and that's just one small example. But it's a country where 
the phrase your betters, meaning people who are better than you and in a higher class, was commonly used. I don't know if it still is, but I've certainly heard it in that context before. I read a newspaper story this weekend that said older Britons now hate Meghan. I assume Mm -hmm. more than ever because they hated her before. And not poor Harry, of course, because it's her fault. And they believe everything she said was lies. And this is people 65 and over really skew this way. The younger people get, the more they are to sympathize with Meghan and Harry. And I'm not sure how anyone, even those who support the monarchy, can be surprised that there's racism in the monarchy and also among the people who hate Meghan. Forget the fact that Meghan has been lambasted for the color of her skin for five years now in the British press, mm-hmm. something that isn't a surprise to anybody in the U.S. who reads People magazine or other things. I mean, Becky, you and I have been talking about it since those two started dating. Yeah. Right? The fact, too, I think part of the issue with Meghan being part of the royal family is that the British Empire is built on subjugating countries, many of them indigenous ones of color. Now, I think any white family with a little cluelessness would ask the question about the baby's skin color. I could even see it happening in our family. Yes, Mom said she didn't think it. She said, I would have said that. Yeah, yes. So how can anyone be surprised? And I'm not defending it. (laughs) I'm just saying... So how can anyone be surprised that an institution built on the basis of we are by birth better than you and we have subjugated people of color for 10 centuries, how can anyone be surprised that that institution doesn't want people in their house, (laughs) doesn't want people who they rule over, whether it's informal now, whether it's more ceremonial than anything else, to say, hey, They look like us now. And don't get me wrong, I love Britain, I love the UK, but the monarchy confounds me. I understand why the people who live there and have have grown up with it and it's part of their lives love it. It's, It's ingrained in their society and in their culture. It's the symbol of their country. The national anthem, for Christ's sake, is about it. And losing it would leave, I think, people adrift. But from the outside looking in, it doesn't make any sense in its existence and I'm not talking about specific individuals, but its existence as an institution ensures that Britain will always remain a class society, that people of color will never be welcome in that family. And that is my big takeaway from the Meghan and Harry thing, and I would have felt that way even if there had been no Oprah interview. Yes. What say you, Becky? I agree with what you're saying. I don't understand how anyone can... Like, okay, we all pay taxes in our different countries, and they go toward things. And there's a lot of things that my taxes go towards that I do not agree with. Mm-hmm. But if my taxes were going basically to pay into a family's bank account, so they could be the, rich, the richest family in the world, one of the richest family in the world. I mean, I think the queen is on the list for one of the richest individuals in the world. It doesn't make sense to me, and it would make me very... It disgusts me, the whole idea of... Because I've this, often called them, they're the world's richest welfare recipients. They really are. And like you said, it's not... I'm not against any individual, even the queen. She seems like she's probably... A nice, nice person. She was, you know, she was in the army in World War Two. She drove a Jeep and nothing against any of them. But it, the whole institution, it just doesn't make sense to me either. And the other thing, every single time 
I was on Twitter or on anything that had a story that had Megan. The comments were full of racial stuff, full yeah. of it. And people calling her horrible names mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with who she is as a person, but everything to do with the fact that she is black and American. Right. And mostly because she's black. If he had married an American who was white, there would have been a lot of crap too. But not like she got. And I'm sure that a lot of it is stuff that we don't even we don't even know about. Like that thing my mom said, well, I would ask her what color just because, you know, just like I would ask if the baby's eyes would be blue. And I said, I know, mom, but that you have to understand that's not, you can't, The way that that would be interpreted by somebody, whether you're innocent about it or not, and the person who asked that of them was not an innocent person. They weren't asking it innocently. They were asking it as a concern. Right. They weren't doing like mom would be like, oh, I wonder how dark the baby is in a just curious way, which even then is kind of like, hmm, why don't we wait and see and not insult people of color but the thing that also is i feel like the whole thing about harry leaving and i realized it was a big deal to them i can understand why he why they did it and they didn't have to explain it but even now after they've explained it i understand even more Mm. why they left even if they hadn't explained it i can see why he would want to leave there were a lot more baggage on him than just -hmm. someone who's a rich but even there there have been errors and stuff that have left their family and and giving it up because they just don't want to deal with it. So kind of understand that. But I do think it's interesting that there's so much focus on this and there's so little, if none, focus on Prince Andrew. and pedophile? um, Yeah. I almost feel like there's been even more drumming up of attention to this and and outrage about this and it being in the news all the time almost to like deflect attention about him because we hear hardly anything about that well and also reading between the lines in the oprah interview this is that kind of non-specific british speak and i know megan had her hands tied as far as what she could say is that she wasn't protected Mm-hmm. The way pedophile Prince Andrew yes, exactly. has been protected. That he's an actual proven pervert and mm-hmm. has been protected. She's simply an innocent, hardworking, young American woman of color who married into the family who was thrown to the wolves. And I kind of wondered when I was watching it, you know, the whole, as you were just saying, but also I almost wondered if there was some behind the scenes stirring up the racism in the press like some collusion with the press to put attention on her to kind of use her as a purposely use her as a distraction i mean i definitely think that once it became an issue there was a big sigh of relief good now we can talk about this and uh, Mm not quote unquote randy andy isn't that such a cute name for a pervert but i wondered too how much they decided let's make sure the focus is on something besides him and isn't she an easy target yes exactly but i enjoyed the interview i felt bad you know i don't he can't help the family he was born into. And I understand that being born into that family, it's not like you're going to change the whole institution and you're going to, I think it's, 
antiquated and I, I do agree with you about the class system and and I know people who are listening that don't live in the United States might think we're full of shit oh, and um, there is a time. class system here and I'm not saying there isn't but it's but not it, it's not built into our right you can be born into an exalted class And no Mm -hmm. matter what you do in your life, you'll be part of that class and you'll have entitlements. Or you can be born into the very low class and it's hard as shit to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And and, And again, not to say that in America, certain, particularly, you know, people of color and people who are born into extreme poverty do have trouble, especially in the past 30 years, um, since Ronald Reagan was president, so the past 40 yeah. years, just we have a system that's getting more and more difficult for people to change their means of life. But in some ways, the American dream does still exist, you know, more for some than others. But, you mm-hmm. know, we Barack Obama became president of the United States. And I, and I hate it when people use the term like American royalty, like about the Kennedys and stuff. No, I know. Because I like just because a family is rich and privileged and in the news, it's not the same thing as, as royalty. The Kennedys were not supporting them, you know, at... And, uh, exactly. You know, um, out there on Cape Cod or whatever. So anyway. Huh. Well, I'm glad I got the head out of my system. Um, I have a short update, and you have okay. an update. Yes, what, I do. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, you can go first, and then I'll go. Okay. This is an update to episode 93, the Ooh. unfortunate wives of Dennis Larson. If you remember, one of his wives, quote unquote, fell mm. from Otter Cliffs in Canadian National Park yeah. in Maine. During that, I kind of did a little roundup of all the deaths in Acadia, and this weekend we had two more, two hikers mm-hmm. from Massachusetts who were hiking on Door Mountain, which, if you're from places with mountains, is not really a mountain, mm-hmm. but it, it does have craggy granite cliffs. I'm not going to victim blame or anything, but it was Very dangerous. Icy. They slipped on the ice, and when they didn't show up at home um, when they were supposed to, their family put out the alarm. The rangers found their car in the parking Aww. lot, and they found it was a man and a woman in their late 20s, early 30s. That's and sad. It, it is sad. It is sad. Acadia, Acadia takes two more victims. Well, you know. No foul play, though. I'm against hiking for that reason <laughs> you know i hate the i've I met know. many you do times hate the outdoors yeah i do i know okay, people and, don't understand that and you have I an do. update right i do noah gaston who was the star of episodes i believe seven and 67 i know he was in episode seven and i think it was 67 where we he's did a, updates he's a frequent flyer yes he was in the news again a couple weeks ago, right after we recorded our last episode. I think it was like the day of or the day after. He's appealing his conviction and asking for a new trial. Noah was sentenced to 40 years in jail for murder and the shooting of his wife, Alicia. His sentencing was in July 2020 in the midst of the pandemic, which just in case you're listening like years from now, <laughs> it is now almost the end of March 2021 and it's still going strong. Yeah. If you recall, Noah shot his wife on the stairs in the early morning hours in January 2016 because he said he thought she was an intruder. The jury at his trial, and I think it was 2018, sorry, I did cover it. Uh, The jury did not believe him. 
Gee, I don't know why. Nor did we, if I remember. Nor did we. Noah Gaston's appeal had a few points. He said he was denied the right to have his family in the courtroom to testify on his behalf when he was sentenced. Because of the COVID restrictions, the courtroom was empty of spectators. Family and friends were only allowed to testify on his behalf via video. And they were in the building. They were just in another room. Uh, Also, Noah said that Judge Michaela Murphy was wrong in assuming he'd waived his religious privilege. Or right after the shooting, church leaders picked Noah up. He was active in his church. Church leaders picked him up at the police station right after he was questioned. Noah told them, the people picking him up, that he'd informed police that he thought Alicia was an intruder. Noah said he told police that story because it was the only way he'd see his kids again. Initially, Justice Murphy said that was privileged communication. However, a couple years later, Noah told a friend, and it was still before the trial, Noah told a friend about the conversation with the church leaders. Because Noah had told someone else about the conversation, Judge Murphy ruled that he'd waived his privilege and that the information could now be known to the jury at trial, which it was. And he's saying, well, I didn't waive my Right. First of all, I remember we talked about it in one of these. I don't really think it was, I don't think it was privileged communication anyways. Just because right. the people were members of his church, tough shit. I know. That's not privileged. It's not a confession to a priest. Right. But anyways, Noah's attorneys, Rob Andrews and James Mason, also said that because there was no history of domestic violence... And the judge even said that at sentencing, that 40 years was too harsh a sentence. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know that's bullshit because Mm -hmm. she wasn't beaten doesn't mean there was not domestic abuse. Right. So there's no timeline for the justices to rule on this. And as of yet, there hasn't been a ruling on a new trial. And I doubt he'll get one because people very, very rarely do. And I think his arguments are weak. But I also feel like that whole thing about, well, there wasn't any domestic violence. There wasn't violence. She wasn't being hit. But as you've talked about many times, there can be domestic abuse without violence. That is true. That's what coercive control is all about. And also, as we've talked about in a lot of cases, often when a woman is killed by her husband suddenly, suddenly, well, how else would she be killed? There isn't violence. That doesn't mean that he didn't want to murder her. You know, like Chris Watts didn't beat his wife up. Lots of times, the one time they resort to violence is when they feel, for whatever reason, they've lost the control, and that's the response to it. So the history of domestic physical violence is moot. I know. Some people don't feel that way. And you'll also be happy to know, with my new credit from Audible, I'm going to download The Gift of Fear, just for you. Okay. You'll be so happy that I listened to it. There's a new edition coming out at the end of this month. Ooh, maybe I'll wait. Anyway, so that was that was my update. Right. And while you were doing your update, I got a notification on my phone. The Harrisville Children's Center in Harrisville, New Hampshire, was having an auction that had 600-plus items to raise money for the center, and they asked me kindly to donate one of my books, which I did. And I also bid on some things, which, unfortunately, (laughs) I I won. Um, and one of the things I won, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but yeah, I hope that my means car you repair. Pay for it. Yeah, yeah, I hope my car repair isn't. But one of the things I won was a one night stay for two adults with children free at Maine Forest Yurts. 
And Durham, and I'm inviting you. This is like one of those public proposals. Oh, I'm inviting you and Hannah. Oh, if you want to so come to, it's on a hundred acres on Runaround Pond in Durham, Maine, nestled in a pristine setting. I know you're against being outside. I am, but I do like camping. But it is a fully furnished yurt. My favorite um, part of camping is the campfire. Hannah so, knows from when and, we camped and it's last good, summer. And it's good till July 2022. So that's a little oh, trip good. you and me and Hannah can do. Yay! I've also won a gift card to the Puritan Backroom Restaurant in Manchester, New Hampshire, which Ooh. is the best chicken tenders. I guess I'll have to go to Manchester because I've also won two Taste of Membership passes to the Courier Museum of Art in Manchester, oh, New Hampshire. I like that. Oh, maybe you can. You and I can make a New Hampshire visit. And or, see although Nikki. you could bring Nikki to the restaurant because you know. Yeah, but love... if we went to New Hampshire, we could go to the art museum and then go to the Puritan after. That's true. And I also won a book. Wow! Were you um, the only person bidding at this auction? Well, there were six hundred and seventy items. An autographed copy of Screwnomics. How Our Economy Ooh. Works Against Women and Real Ways oh. to Make Lasting Change. Well, that sounds it'll... By Ricky it, Gard, who, Diamond, who's a woman. So It'll anyway. give you grist for new rants. So yeah, I don't like know that. if... Hopefully, somebody did bid on my book, I saw. Um, so hopefully they're enjoying <laughs> it. They bid higher than the value of it. Too, Thank so. you, whoever bid on it. It now, wasn't me either. So I didn't sh- know better. I guess I should launch into my... Yes, well, and I'm excited because I don't know what you're doing. I promoted the auction on Facebook, so ho- hopefully some people... Oh, yes, I did share it. Yeah, That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, I but, shared it. Okay, anyway. God. Okay, I guess I should get to my story before yes, we Yes, I know everyone's going to be like, oh, they're one of those podcasts that talks about all sorts of other stuff and never gets to the story. Well, we are, aren't we? <laughs> I know. That's, like that that's... guy that listened that told well, me, I didn't need to hear like your, a story about your trip to the grocery store You know what? If he, like, doesn't then, need, no if he doesn't need to hear that. You listen. Right. He doesn't have to fucking that's listen to That's what I said. Us. I said, then don't listen. Yeah, well, listen to something else. Listen to Joe Watts' Rogan or something. Yeah. You know, some guy thing. But Ugh. anyway, um, okay. I know. So when we first started this podcast back in November 2016, one of our goals, one of our stated goals, was to take <laughs> things that were in the news yes. and elaborate on them so people could get a fuller story. And obviously it's evolved since then. But tonight I'm going back to our roots. Ooh. So something ripped from the headlines. And you're going to have lots of updates in the future. Yeah, well, I I understand that. But I'm okay. willing to take that risk. And it's this story is probably more familiar to our UK listeners, if they're still listening after our anti-monarchy rant. Oh, don't take um, it personally, people. But we it's love been you. in the news. It's been in the news here in the States, too. My sources for tonight's story include the Irish Examiner, MyLondon.com, which is a great news website in South London. The Sun, tabloid, boo, but um, (laughs) BBC News, The Independent, The New York Times, and The Washington Post. Mm. I was also going to quote from Laura Richards' new podcast, Crime Analyst, in which she brought this up in uh, Up This Issue in episode 11. I was going to briefly quote her, but I just didn't have time. But I already developed this topic for this for this weekend was working on it before her podcast dropped, so I'm not copying her. And maybe I can talk about some of her insights. Maybe I can do an NNW rating um, on her podcast. Don't give her all, like, great points. Well, no, I do, have, I do have a couple issues, but I will say, uh, on a side note, it, it's called 
crime analyst. I'm really enjoying it. She's going over the Peter Sutcliffe case. He's the Ooh. guy known as the Yorkshire Ripper. Ooh, of course, she I won't say that or his name, but I will. And we had discussed in an NNW rating a few episodes ago, the Netflix... Yes. Ripper documentary and some of the holes it has and she fills many of those holes particularly his claiming of mental illness which mm -hmm. she has covered thoroughly in two episodes so before I fully launch in I want to tell just a little personal story that will kind of illustrate some of the issues behind my topic tonight and I think I've told this mm -hmm. story before or at least alluded to it but it bears telling again or in any case I'm going to tell Ooh. it again so Anyway, it's short. A few years ago when I was living in the Portland, Maine area with mom and dad, I was using <laughs> the University of Southern Maine's excellent Glickman Library to write at. And its I don't think it's a book plug to say I was writing my book, Bad News Travels <laughs> Fast, which is available on all blah, blah, blah. And we like to call it the Glick, the library. Anyway, it closed around 10 or 11 most nights, long after most people who worked there had gone home. It's a big seven-story building that was once a, a bread factory. And there's a great parking garage there. I believe we even recorded an episode of, oh, yeah. of either this or Groovy Tube right? in it during a... Oh, I think it's Groovy Tube, yeah. Right, during a rainstorm. And at the time, it was free to park there. The parking there was free. And I know every woman out there can relate. I was always a little nervous walking by myself. I had to walk across mm -hmm. a parking lot that was reserved, you know, for, not for people like me. And um, a grassy area and stuff to get to the parking garage. And then I'm going into this, you know, dark, empty parking garage. And it's largely deserted, like I said, that time of night. The school is in downtown Portland. And while Portland is a fairly safe city, no place is really safe for women at night and there are weird people around and you know I wasn't so nervous I didn't use it but I was nervous enough to have my keys mm. in my hand with the points sticking out between yeah. my fingers as you do and my thumb near the panic button of my remote door opener you know the drill yeah. and you know as women were conditioned to that kind of nervousness and watchful behavior and so I just kind of assume it's a universal thing that people recognize and it's kind of on everybody's radar regardless of gender yet my eyes were opened that summer when i had the exact same conversation with two different men about it one was head of a nonprofit who worked in the library one is a fellow mystery writer and a former homicide cop so you'd expect this type of thing would at least be on his radar yet both when i talked about the only problem with writing there with working at the library until it closed was using the parking garage both of them assumed I was afraid my car would get locked in to the garage and I wouldn't be able to get out. And when I said, no, I'm nervous as a woman walking alone late at night through a dark, empty parking garage, they were both like, oh, oh, you know, I never thought of that. So they got it when I explained it, but it hadn't even occurred to them. Hmm. And I had an epiphany moment myself. Something I should, shouldn't have had to take me more than 50 years to figure out. Men and women live in the same world, but they are totally different worlds. Exactly. Men, at least white men, whether they're a smallish guy who runs a nonprofit or a big tough guy who used to be a homicide cop, can move freely through the world day and night while women can't. And I know, I know, I should have understood that a long time before, and I guess I did on some level, but it never... The dichotomy never really was that stark to me is when I saw that two two fairly, they're decent guys who seem fairly sensitive to the predicament of women, but just had no clue. To me, if a woman said to me, 
I and I'm nervous about using the parking garage at night, I would immediately know what she Yes, meant. exactly. I would you know. too. The Reclaim the Night movement started on November 12th, 1977 in the UK when torchlight marches were held across England in Leeds, York, Bristol, Manchester, Newcastle, Brighton, and London. They were organized by the Leeds Revolutionary Feminist Group, that's the name of the group, largely in response to the police warning to women Mm -hmm. that as long as the Yorkshire Ripper was murdering and raping women across the area, women needed to be careful at night and watch out for themselves, basically police themselves and restrict their own freedom. And we talked a little about this when we reviewed the Ripper documentary. The point was that rather than women having to change their behavior, why shouldn't men have to change their behavior? No shit! Flash forward to March 2021, when, all these years later, women are still taking to the streets asking the same question, and men, particularly the ones who make the rules, are largely brushing it aside. We'll get to all that in a bit, but first let's talk about what spurred the latest protests. Sarah Everard was a 33-year-old marketing professional who had just started a new job when she left a friend's house in the Clapham section of London near Clapham Common, which, I'm sorry, not to trivialize, every time I hear makes me think of the squeeze song, Up the Junction. I never thought it would happen with me and a girl from Clapham out on the Windy Common (laughs) that night I ain't forgotten. But anyway... Not to make light, but my knowledge of Britain is limited to rock music, 50 years of watching Masterpiece Theater, and reading British mystery novels, so what what else? Yes, me too. Sorry, everybody. In any case, the walk was two and a half miles to her own apartment back in Brixton, which makes me think of the class song, The Guns, Guns of Brixton. Guns of Brixton, yeah. yeah. While most accounts say it should have been a 50, as in 5-0 minute walk, she was a fit young woman who took part in road races and more, so I can't imagine it would have taken her that long to walk two and a half miles. Mm. But then other accounts say she took a more roundabout route than she needed to to stay on well-lit streets. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was more than two and a half miles and would have been, you know, it might take me... 50 minutes to walk two and a half miles but i can't imagine but i digress I walking a 15 minute mile is slow no you yes, said it is. 50 minutes to try right, for okay. two and a half miles never mind we can have a math episode at some point many of you have heard the story by now she left her friend's house around 9 p.m wednesday on march 3rd she called her boyfriend josh louth and talked to him for about 14 minutes they made plans to meet up the next day she reportedly, quote, did everything right, unquote, something <laughs> we'll discuss more later, besides checking in with her boyfriend and basically, and actually I have mixed feelings about being on the cell phone when you're walking because it can make you vulnerable, but that wasn't, I don't think, an issue in this case. She took a busy, well-lit route walking across Clapham Common, which is a 220-acre park, and she walked along the A205 South Circular Road, <laughs> Um, which is apparently a well-lit, well-traveled road that people in London, I'm sure, are familiar with. She was wearing a bright green raincoat and and blue and white pants, bright turquoise and orange sneakers, or as they say in all the stories, trainers, because that's the British word for them. She had a face mask and a beige knit. I would call it a ski hat with a little pom-pom. They called it a beanie. I think of a beanie as a different type of hat. Me too, but whatever. Right. She was seen on a CCTV camera at 9.15, again at 9.28 from a doorbell camera on Pointers Road, which is on the other side of Clapham Common, so she did make it across there, uh, the other side from where her friend lives. 
and from a Cameron a passing police cruiser at 9.32. After that, Sarah Everard disappeared. Mm. The next day, her boyfriend, after she didn't meet him as planned, and he discovered she never showed up at work, she didn't answer any messages from friends or anything, reported her missing. And it's been reported, I don't know if she was starting a new job that day, I know she had to work that that next morning. I don't know if it was the new job or she had a new job that she was looking forward to. It's un, it's unclear. But in any case, she was a dependable girl who would not miss work. The Metropolitan Police, which we also know as Scotland Yard, <laughs> on Mar- March 5th made an appeal on Twitter saying that they were, quote, increasingly concerned. On March 6th, as police searched the ponds on Clapham Common, her family issued a statement, quote, With every day that goes by, we are getting more worried about Sarah. She is always in regular contact with us and with her friends, and it is totally out of character for her to disappear like this. We long to see her and want nothing more than for her to be found safe and well. We are desperate for news, and if anyone knows anything about what has happened to her, we would urge you to please come forward and speak to police. Police released that day a CCTV image of her taken before she went to the friend's house from a Sainsbury's, which is a department store kind of like Target that has both groceries and home goods, where she bought a bottle of wine. Detective Chief Inspector Ian Kenward, who's kind of cute, said, (laughs) We are also growing increasingly concerned for her welfare and have officers working around the clock to try and find her. I would ask anyone who was in the Clapham Common area on Wednesday night to think about whether you saw Sarah or any suspicious activity around the time of her disappearance. He added officers were investigating lots of inquiries, but he said he didn't want to get into specifics. Quote, we will continue searching as long as we need to. And before I go farther, I just want to say she's a a very cute and attractive young white woman. And even before she was found when she was missing, her disappearance spurred a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And I just want to acknowledge that, you know, it's different for people of color. The police did say that somebody being a stranger abduction is very rare in London. But people Mm. do disappear and people of color who disappear don't get the attention exactly. that white people do. And, and so now I'll go on. On March 7th, on March 7th, police released a CCTV image of her taken on her walk home, as well as details of the route they believe she was taking. They said they weren't sure whether she made it home to her apartment in Brixton or not before she disappeared. And as we've talked about before, there are CCTV cameras all the frig over Great Britain. Which is good in this case. Yes. By March 8th, more than 120 calls have been made to the police from the public. Although I don't know what they were. I can't believe that they were all productive calls, Hmm. but they were made. And more than 750 homes were visited in the area as part of the investigation. Well, London's a big place. Yeah. No, I'm saying, wow, that they covered that much ground. Yeah. Scotland Yard. And I may switch between Scotland Yard and the Met. I know now people call them the Met more than Scotland Yard, but again, I, you know, I read British mystery novels and watch TV, so, um, but they said they would, quote, remain open-minded to all possibilities. Special investigators were called to help with the investigation. On March 9th, sniffer dogs help search Hmm. gardens, or what in the U.S. we call yards, or in Maine, dooryards, on the streets along her route. Around midnight that night, the Met announced that it arrested a police officer in Kent in connection Mm. with Sarah's disappearance. Kent is a county 
in England, in the southeast, that southeast corner that juts out toward France where Dover is. A woman was also taken into custody on suspicion of assisting an offender. Yeah. Assistant Commissioner Nick F. Grave says the fact the man is a serving police officer is both shocking and deeply disturbing. It's disturbing, but not shocking. Right. Neighbors of the man who was arrested say they spotted a Land Rover with two men watching the property for two hours before around 20 officers raided the house right before midnight. A shirtless Wayne Cousins, 48, was led from the house in handcuffs with one witness saying he looked very calm. He just walked out. Detective Chief Inspector Catherine Goodwin said the force was still, quote, doing everything we could to find Sarah. On March 10th, the next day, and that arrest was right around midnight. So, you know, midnight of March 9th into March 10th. But on March 10th, the morning of March 10th, Sarah's uncle, Nick Everard, told the media the family is distraught and that, quote, Mm. things are utterly dire. He told Sky News they were waiting for positive news from the police. The Met said on Tuesday morning that the officer arrested the night before was not on duty at the time of Sarah's disappearance. But Assistant Commissioner F. Rage wouldn't say what branch of the force he was in or any other details. Hmm. He turned out, as I said, to be Wayne Cousins, 48, and he was initially charged with kidnapping. Mm. Detectives began searching that same day two different locations in Kent. A property in Deal, and I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right, but it's D-E-A-L, so hopefully I'm... Where a tent was set up on Freeman's Way, which was actually Cousin's house, and Woodland near Ashford. Next to the Woodland was an old... I think it was a former golf course that was no longer in use. There are different descriptions of it. A neighbor of the Freeman's Way property told ITV News that a police officer lived there with his wife and two children. Quote, they seemed like a normal, regular family. There was Mm -hmm. nothing strange about them at all, she said. And she added that police were digging up the garden. Mm. Later that day, police found human remains in what's Uh. described as a builder's bag and Hodeswood in Ashford, the woodland they were searching. And a builder's bag is apparently a large bag that people put building supplies in maybe like builder's waste yeah i would think like yeah i don't know, you know if it's like, like those a big contractor bag or yeah so oh i was thinking like the contractor garbage bags but that yeah, could be maybe. too yeah like it, it, they duty. didn't say waste they said like supplies or something oh, i don't know interesting even after the remains were found the search continued including a garage at the top of the white cliffs of dover next to St. Martin's Battery, overlooking Dover Harbor. And this area was about 50 miles southeast of London. On March 12th, police confirmed that the remains they found were Sarah Everard, and that she'd been ID'd using dental records, and a murder charge was added to the kidnap charge against Swain Mm -hmm. Cousins. The Sun reported, or rather I'd say speculated, that Cousins used his warrant card, which is police ID, to entice Sarah into a car. Her family said that she would never get into a car with a stranger. On March 14th, our sister Liz's birthday, Mm. police cordoned off a section of the rope walk in Sandwich. Kent? Sandwich. Mm, Sandwich. Yeah. And I had to look look up what the rope walk is. It, It and another thing called the Butts are two sections of the old town boundary of Sandwich that provide what's described as an unusual public walk around the historic town. Hmm. Okay. It's like a wide path with grassy ramparts that once formed the medieval defenses of oh, the city. Oh, cool. 
And now there are trees and stuff on them and a bunch of stuff I didn't understand. <laughs> um, and with and they have views over the town and countryside. It sounds beautiful. Beautiful mm. place for a murder investigation. Mm. The mayor of Sandwich, Jeff Franklin, estimated that a square mile or 2.6 kilometers for our British and European friends of the town was restricted by the cordon. On March 16th, police searched Woodland and Kent and divers searched underwater and word was they were looking for Sarah's cell phone. Sarah Everard was born and raised in New York in northern England. She graduated from Durham University in 2008 and then moved to London to work in marketing. Her father, Jeremy, is a professor in electronics at the University of York. He and her mother, Sue, her brother, James, and sister, Kate, all went to London after she was reported missing to help search for her. Hmm. She was the youngest of the three children. And her family said, as I said before, her disappearance was completely out of character. Rose Willard, a college friend, told BBC that Sarah was beautiful, thoughtful, and incredibly kind, and that she was looking forward to starting a new job as a senior marketing manager. After her remains were found, her family issued a statement that said, Sarah was bright and beautiful, a wonderful daughter and sister. She was kind and thoughtful, caring and dependable. She always put others first and had the most amazing sense of humor. She was strong and principled and a shining example to us all. We are very proud of her, and she brought so much joy to our lives. Her uncle, Nick Everard, told the media that Sarah did not know Cousins, and the family had no idea how or why he was linked to her disappearance. And while I don't question that she didn't know him, I always think it's weird when people say that somebody didn't know somebody. I mean, how do they know she didn't know him? I know. There's so many people that I I know or that you know that there's no way. Nick Everard told The Sun... She would never have taken a lift with a stranger. She was sensible. She didn't know him, and she wouldn't have voluntarily gotten into a car. I'm trying to work out what happened. I don't know the area, but I keep looking at a map of Clapham Common to see which route she took. I've got to talk to my brother. This is the worst news. I want to find out all about this man. He's got two children, for God's sake. We don't have a ton of information about Wayne Cousins. At first, when I started researching this, I found it strange and frustrating that people weren't just ripping his life apart. Thanks to MyLondon.com, which is, as far as I can tell, our very excellent South London local news website, the mystery was solved. In an article with the headline, Why We Can't Report Much About the Wayne Cousins Court Case, Hmm. my London reporter Jamie Phillips explains that when someone is arrested, the case becomes active. In an active case, under the Contempt of Court Act 1981, means that anything that could prejudice jurors at a future trial can't be published. And I think that stems from the whole some big tabloid scandal from back then. Mm, yes. And I was going to look into it, maybe an episode for another um, episode. So once the case is active, only non-prejudicial information can be published, which includes the name of the court and the magistrate's names, the name, home address, and occupations of the defendant. If it's a case um, of somebody charged with serious or complex fraud, They can report any relevant business information, otherwise they can't. The charges that the defendant faces, the names of counsel and solicitors in the case, the date and place to which the case has been adjourned, bail arrangements, and whether legal aid was granted. And that's it. What we do know is that Cousins 
is some stuff was reported before he was charged. And what we do know is that Cousins lived in Deal, Kent. And again, sorry, I, I don't know why I would think that would be pronounced differently, except for it just seems so simple that <laughs> it might be. And while he lived in Kent with in Kent with his wife and two kids, his wife um, was a laboratory manager. He was an officer with the Met in London. He had worked as a mechanic with his family's auto repair business in Kent, and that was the garage they were searching in Dover. He became a cop about 10 years ago. When Sarah disappeared, he was a diplomatic protection officer with the Met, which involves guarding foreign embassies, Hmm. and that's a job he's had since 2018. Before that, he was a member of the Civil Nuclear Constabulary, where he underwent firearms training, while he were protecting the Dungeness Nuclear Power Station near where he lived. And many cops in Britain don't carry guns, and so there are many references to him as a gun cop, which means he was licensed to carry a firearm. It used to be Mm. none of them did. Yeah, I know, but that's interesting, though, because that might be how, yeah. Well, keep listening. His, (laughs) his His neighbor, John Chidwick, 67, told the Daily Mail... He had some timber sheets going spare, and I asked if I could have them to build a manure box for my allotment. (laughs) My translation for our American (laughs) listeners is, he had some boards he wasn't using, and I asked him if I could have them to build a compost container for my area in the community garden. Uh Translation services by Maury Milligan. The neighbor went on to say, he was a nice, friendly bloke and well-spoken. He hadn't been living on the road all that long, about four years, give or take, but seems to be a family man, as most people around here are. I know he's a police officer. And I meant to write down his wife's name and didn't. She had been taken into custody when he was arrested. Oh, yeah. Charged, initially charged with um, helping, assisting an offender, but she was let go with no charges. Why don't you try to do British accents when you do the Because quotes? I don't want our, <laughs> I don't want our fans joking. in the UK to hate us any more than they uh. already do. Anyway, his mother-in-law, Nina Sukhariba, who lives in Ukraine, told the Telegraph after he was arrested, he could not do anything like this. He is a wonderful family man, a wonderful man. This just sounds crazy to me. I talked to my daughter just yesterday, and she didn't tell me anything. Hmm. She said Wayne was at work, and everything was fine. And I don't know what day that was, but I think that was the day after he was arrested. So, Mm -hmm. And no, everything was not fine. Not at all. Here's what Wayne Cousins was doing in the days before and after Sarah Everard took her last walk. On Tuesday, March 2nd, the night before Sarah was killed, Cousins began a 12-hour shift at 7 p.m. at his job, his police job. According to some reports, and this is very confusing, he worked another shift from 2 to 8 p.m. on March 3rd, the day she disappeared, at the U.S. Embassy about three miles from where she disappeared. So he got off work that shift about an hour before she started her walk. A one or two accounts say he was then on leave, and I think what they meant is he just had a few days off, not that mm-hmm. he was on any, like, we would use that to mean, like, administrative yeah. leave, you know, like... Yeah, but it was just his days off. Right. So apparently mm-hmm. he had a few days off, although it's not clear if that was part of his schedule or why. And so the U.S. Embassy thing seems to be like some kind of extra shift or overtime shift. Anyway, on March 5th, even though he wasn't due back at work for a few days, he reported, it's not clear to who, that he was suffering from stress. Aww. On March 6th, Cousins, as I said, he's a trained firearms officer, emailed his supervisor to say he doesn't want to carry a firearm anymore. Mm. 
Three days later, he was arrested. Cousins was remanded in custody, which means he was held before being charged, before appearing at a magistrate's hearing, which is basically a probable cause hearing, at the Old Bailey, which is England and Wales Criminal Central Court, and he appeared via video link from Belmarsh Prison in London on March 16th, and that's where he'd been held since his arrest. His plea hearing is set for July 9th, and his trial is set for October 25th. And here's another interesting thing about Wayne Cousins, something that's not in a lot of the accounts of the case because of the reporting rules, though it has been reported in several places outside the UK and in a couple of UK publications. On February 28th, three days before Everard was killed, the Metropolitan Police got two reports from a, from a McDonald's in South London of a guy indecently exposing himself to workers at the restaurant. Mm. The flasher was caught on CCTV. It apparently was Cousins. Yes. Despite the Met opening an investigation of the reports, he was working and under no restrictions or anything, and it's hmm. not clear if, if he'd been spoken to about the reports or if he knew he was being investigated. Apparently, both he and his car with the license registration, one yeah. or the other, was was caught. So the stories are not clear. His car with the license registration was definitely caught. He was possibly also caught, too, on CCTV. The Met said, after he was arrested, you know, for in the Sarah Everhard case, the Met said, on 28 February, the Met created a crime report in, a, in relation to two separate indecent exposure incidents at a fast food restaurant in South London. It would be inappropriate to comment further, given the IOPC investigation. Mm. And the IOPC is like this watchdog, and I'll talk about a little bit more about them in a couple minutes, but they they investigate police Oh, yeah. So, like, issues. internal affairs. Right. A New York-based publication, the International Business Times, had a little more detail. It said that a vehicle registration was noted by witnesses to the indecent exposure, and it's a vehicle registered to Cousins. While police haven't directly said the man in the footage who flashed indecently was Cousins, eyewitnesses confirmed that it was him. And I don't know if the eyewitnesses confirmed it after he was arrested, Mm. the Sarah Everard thing. Workers at McDonald's reported the incident of indecent exposure, or the two incidents, on the night they happened. However, no action was taken by police, except for apparently to file the report. Had Cousins been arrested, according to the International Business Times, he would automatically have had his blue ticket firearm license revoked and immediately have been suspended from duty. The Met police are being accused of taking the incident lightly. People keep referring to, um, in stories, as the police watchdog, but it's the Independent Office for Police Conduct, and they're investigating the incident. Quote, Our investigation will look at the actions of the Metropolitan Police after police received a report on February 28th that a man had exposed himself at a fast food restaurant in South London, a statement from IOPC read. And that's all they would say about it. And as I said, it's not clear if Cousins was aware of the initial reports or investigation or if the police had tied him to it before the murder. A report, like I said, was filed that night, but it seems that nothing else was done. It's not clear if they knew it was a cop or not. The Daily Mail said that sources, their sources, say that indecent exposure allegations may not have reached, quote, command level, unquote, so colleagues were unlikely to be aware of it, meaning he was able to continue working mm. as an armed officer around London right up until his arrest. 
and that doesn't really clear <laughs> clear it all up. So it's really not I guess, clear. Yeah. I wondered, okay, did the fact that he was on leave after that March 2nd shift mean they had put him on leave and it just, mm. since it was a personnel issue, they weren't reporting it? But then why was he allowed to work that overtime shift? And why, you know, so... I don't think him being off for a few days had anything to do with it. He obviously still had his gun and everything yeah. else. Huh. In any case, the IOPC has their hands full. They're also investigating why Cousins appeared in court with a black eye and a contusion on hmm. his head. He's bald, so it's easy to see the contusion. Police say he injured himself. I guess we assume by banging his head against the wall. They say he injured himself in his cell when he was alone in his cell on March 11th. Mm-hmm. He was briefly hospitalized and returned to the police station, where apparently he did it again the next day and again was briefly hospitalized. Sarah Everard's disappearance, the fact she was killed, and the arrest of cousins made international news. It also opened a lot of old and some newer wounds. Mm-hmm. Cressida Dick, Met Police Commissioner, said after Sarah's remains were found, Sarah's disappearance in these awful and wicked circumstances is every family's worst nightmare. I know Londoners will want to know that it is thankfully incredibly rare for a woman to be abducted from our streets. But I completely understand that despite this, women in London and the wider public, particularly those in the, in the area where Sarah went missing, will be worried and may well be feeling scared. Mm-hmm. Dick, or as the newspapers call her, Dame Cressida, part of that royal thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She's a dame. Nobility or Nobility. So the arrest of a serving Met police officer, Wayne Cousins, on suspicion of murder had sent waves of shock and anger through the public and through the whole of the Met. I speak on behalf of all my colleagues in the Met when I say we are utterly appalled at the dreadful news. Our job is to patrol the streets and to protect people. So how did they zero in on Wayne Cousins so yes. quickly? We mentioned earlier, as well as episodes before, that it seems like England is just covered with CCTV cameras. Everyone knows it. You know it, Becky. I know it. <laughs> Our listeners know it. The police I'm obviously know it. Yet it seems like Wayne Cousins was unaware. Not only was he allegedly caught twice on the one at McDonald's, <laughs> indecently exposing himself a few nights before, but at 9.35 p.m. on March 3rd, as Sarah was walking home, just a few minutes after she was last caught on camera, a bus camera cut two figures on Pointers Road and a white Vauxhall Astra car with its hazard lights flashing. Another bus camera caught the same car with both front doors open. The car's registration, later confirmed to be a rental from Dover, was visible on the cameras and police were able to track it from London to Kent. According to Daily Mail Online, London and Highways England's network of cameras would have been able to track the car all the way, every mile of the way, I guess, because they have cameras on all the highways. Yeah. If she was in the car, they will have footage of him with her, a source told the mail. The mail source has also speculated that he may have been under surveillance for several days before his arrest maybe with the police hoping he'd lead them to her remains or body. The Mail also reported, which may be where the Sun got its less detailed speculation, that detectives were looking into whether Cousins used his warrant card, his cop ID, to lure Sarah into his car, possibly citing COVID-19 lockdown rules. Mm. Uh, And I don't know why they would think that. Maybe they were just speculating on what he could possibly say to a young woman who wasn't doing anything illegal to get her to get into his car. But 
even then, I mean, I didn't have time to look up what their rules are, but I have to believe, or somebody would have mentioned it in one of the news stories, that it's not illegal to walk the streets of London. with a mask on. Right. No cause of death has been released, but it was Hmm. reported that there was a second post-mortem after the first one was inconclusive. This may not have exploded into an international story, except for the fact that people, women in this case, are fed up. First of all, after Sarah was first reported missing, London police went door to door in the neighborhood. Remember I said they, con- mm-hmm. you know, contacted 750 people in the neighborhood where she disappeared, telling women to stay inside, to be careful. Mm-hmm. It was for their own safety. Rather than the usual acceptance of that, some women got pissed off. Yeah. Green Party House of Lords member Jenny Jones said in Parliament on March 11th, I would argue that at the next opportunity for a bill that is appropriate, I might actually put in an amendment to create a curfew for men on the streets after 6 p.m. Exactly. Which I feel will make women much safer and discrimination of all kinds would be lessened. Of course, that was met with misogynistic outrage. Mm-hmm. And she was personally attacked on social media, in the news, on Fox TV here in America, everywhere you can imagine. But, you know, she didn't mean she was really going to do it. She was just making a point. Mm-hmm. One that 40 years after women were told the same thing, after Peter Sutcliffe was allowed to rape and murder across Yorkshire, people still weren't getting. As Jones told news organization LBC, her remarks were ironic or were mm-hmm. made in irony, because South yeah. London police told women, quote, not to go out alone, and no one seemed to bat an eyelid. Yet, she said, saying the same thing about men caused an outcry. Yeah. Of course, even once she explained it, people had to push back. A typical response is a government minister who said, better education for men about issues of harassment was certainly something to look at again. <laughs> but not all men are predators. Uh, not all men. Not all men. LBC News columnist Arwa Madawi wrote on March 13th, Nobody seriously really thinks that a curfew for men is a good idea, not least because almost one in three women in the UK will experience domestic abuse in her lifetime, and women are far more likely to be killed by a partner than a stranger. So it's not like keeping men in the house after 6 p.m. would make women safe. Jones was doing this little thing called pointing out double standards. (laughs) That same day on March 13th, things kind of blew up in a different way. Reclaim These Streets planned vigils on Clapham Common and 31 other UK locations organized for that night. The events were going to be part vigil for Everard, but also to protest police telling women to stay home for their own safety and to demand safer streets. And Reclaim These Streets, there's also Reclaim the Night. I think mm-hmm. they're different um, organizations, I but they both have you know, similar causes. And there's one in the United States called Take Back the Night. Right, right. The Met, citing lockdown restrictions, told the women they couldn't hold their vigils and said Mm. they'd be fined up to £10,000 if the vigil was held, the Clapham Common one at least. The organizers called the vigils off in part because they could not bear the thought of their fines going to subsidize the very police force they were protesting. Mary Morgan, a writer and scholar focused on body politics, who was one of the organizers, told the New York Times, quote, It makes my stomach rot, she said. Mm. Chloe White, who organized the Edinburgh in Scotland vigil, told BBC Radio 5 Live the morning that the vigils were to be held, quote, This is only getting bigger and bigger. Regardless of what the police or the law have to say about our vigils, women will not be silenced. 
We will be taking to the streets as soon as it is legal and safe to do so. In the meantime, the campaigns online are only growing. The organizers had said the message they felt was that once again, police were doubling down on restricting women's freedom instead of men's violence. Ann Lawtree told the New York Times she was shocked when the vigil was canceled. We can't have a vigil. People standing still in a park wearing masks, she said. So are others. So even though that night's vigils were supposed to be held virtually online, somehow thousands showed up at Clapham Common Mm -hmm. and the rally still happened. A huge crowd turned out carrying candles and bouquets to add to the pile that was already growing to commemorate Sarah Everard. The New York Times described what happened next. Since the women didn't have any audio equipment, the crowd repeated what was said back so the people in the back could hear it. So you had hundreds of people saying in unison, the police are trying to silence us. The police are trying to repress us. The police said we can't have a vigil to remember Sarah Everard. The police have the nerve to threaten us. The police have the nerve to intimidate us. And then they yelled, we say no. Police Mm -hmm. tried to disperse the crowd with the expected results. They waded into the crowd, trampling the memorial flowers and manhandling women as some chanted things at them like, hey, mister, get your hands off my sister and (laughs) arrest your own, um, Mm -hmm. a reference to, you know, Wayne Cousins and everything, and police go home. A photo of protester Patsy Stevenson being pinned to the ground and handcuffed by male officers went, yeah, it went viral. Quote, before then, it was a peaceful protest, she told the website Counterfire. I was arrested by police for standing there. I wasn't doing anything. They threw me to the floor. They have pictures of me on the floor being arrested. And I'm five foot two and I weigh nothing. She said many attended despite the cancellation because people were angry. And this is Maureen again. Of course, police said they had to do that. And as often happens these days, they trotted out a woman to make their point. Quote, we absolutely did not want to be in a position where enforcement action was necessary, Assistant Police Commissioner Helen Ball said, but we were placed in this position because of the overriding need to protect people's safety. So, this is Maureen again, it's like the old Vietnam War saying, we had to destroy the village in order to save the village. Mm -hmm. Helen Ball said, hundreds of people were packed tightly together, posing a very real risk of easily transmitting COVID-19. A small minority of people began chanting at officers, pushing and throwing items. The Washington Post said that among the thousands who attended the vigil peacefully, including Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, who left flowers, a small group was hurling insults and objects at the police. Demonstrators, not to be intimidated by what happened that night, took to the streets again on Sunday. Several hundred gathered outside London Police Headquarters before marching to Parliament Square to hold a lie-in where they lie on the ground. And, I could do and that. And they planned another protest for the day after. The Home Office, which oversees policing, I always think that's a funny name. It makes me think of Dave, David Letterman and stuff. Which oversees policing said it will hold an independent inquiry into the actions of the police. And, of course, there's a big case of people just not getting it. While Sarah's murder and the aftermath spurred an outpouring on news sites and social media from women talking about their own experiences and how they have to behave differently just to keep themselves safe in the world, the whole two-world thing for women and men Mm -hmm. that I was talking about at the beginning of this, the government proudly announced it was going ahead with the crime bill that gives police what the New York Times referred to as sweeping new powers for police across England. 
The government, after Everard's killing, had also promised more CCTV cameras, better street lighting, and plainclothes police in bars and clubs to watch for attacks on female patrons. As the New York Times wrote, all those responses seem grounded in the theory that women felt unsafe because there were not enough police with enough power in enough places. Women, including the feminist group Sisters Uncut, say the police were themselves a source of trauma and danger, and giving them more power would only leave women more vulnerable. From 2019 to 2020, less than 3% of the rapes reported to police in the UK were prosecuted, according to government statistics. Hmm. Wow. And, as the New York Times points out, if unreported cases are taken into account, the real prosecution rate is even lower. Emily Gray, a lecturer, or as we say in America, a professor, at Darby mm. University, who studies policing, told the New York Times, rape has been decriminalized, frankly. The Independent reported that 568 London police officers were accused of sexual assault between wow. 2012 and 2018. Of them, 43 faced disciplinary proceedings. Jeez. From April 2015 to April 2018, there were at least 700 reports of domestic violence by police officers and police staff, mm -hmm. according to documents obtained by the Bureau of Investigative Journalists from 37 of Britain's 48 police forces. In this morning's Boston Sunday Globe, there was a big story, too, coincidentally, about how domestic violence allegations about members of the Boston Police Department are swept under the rug and rarely prosecuted. Hmm. So it's an international issue. Quote, exactly. Violence against women usually comes from a power imbalance, Gray, the professor, told the New York Times. She says that one reason the police bill isn't going to work to solve the problem is that it doesn't do anything about that at all, about the power imbalance. In fact, it's probably going to make it worse. It will make it worse. The New York Times article looked at what people are saying can be done instead. Sisters Uncut is demanding services for women in crisis that have been cut or reduced because of government austerity measures over the year be reinstated. Perpetrator programs that work with abusive men to prevent them from attacking their partners can be bumped up, but those work for physical violence, but they don't work for coercive control, one expert told the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And coercive control in Britain, unlike the United States, there are laws against coercive control, and that is part of the criminal code now. All of the experts say that education is a must. Quote, Education is a real shot at prevention and shaping some of the prevalent attitudes that greatly hurt girls and women as well as non-binary people in our society, said Kate Mann, a professor of philosophy at Cornell University. She told that to the New York Times. She said, though, education to address misogyny, male privilege, and male responsibility for ending male violence, which are all politically charged, would be considered radical unfortunately. In fact, mm. on Laura Richards' podcast uh, episode, I believe it's episode 11, although it's not the first time she's brought this up, she goes on at some length about how this kind of violence, both domestic violence and random violence against women, has is looked at as this women's problem where women, yes. it's up to women to solve it. And mm -hmm. it has to become it's a man problem, not a woman problem. But yeah, men need to change, not us. Right. Reclaim the Night, which formed during the Peter Sutcliffe rampage in Yorkshire 40 years ago, recently wrote on its website, We stand in solidarity with our sisters organizing at this time. We see you, Sarah. We see you women raising their voices and taking a stand against male violence. 
We see you women who go missing and are killed. We see you black women who go missing at higher rates but receive less public Mm -hmm. outrage. We reject the not-all-men excuse and are still Mm -hmm. angry that all women walk the streets in fear at night after so many marches and so many voices raised. Reclaim the Night may have begun as torch-lit marches in 1977 as a response to the police telling women to stay at home rather than targeting men with messages of anti-violence, But as recent events have shown, the march sadly is as critical as ever. Mm -hmm. As the resurgence movement since 2004, we have been making noise and collectively taking back the streets of London. We will keep marching until women can walk the streets at night without the threat of sexual violence. We will never give up and send strong messages of support to all our sisters at this time. We call on the government to hear our protests and our voices and call on those who have had enough to take action. And that is my story. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I felt like people had heard, like I had, of the Sarah Everard thing. But in the newspapers I read, it was just a few paragraphs here and there. and Or I'd see something on TV. So I just wanted to kind of pull everything together. Yes. So people could. Thank you. Um, and I was, Although it's amazing how little things have changed. Yeah. In 40. Like when I saw that photo. Well, I saw a photograph and I saw something, it was either a short film clip or something of the protests and, and the cops attacking the women. And that reminded me of that documentary. And I was thinking, wow, it's exactly the same I know. as it was, you know, yeah. whatever, 40 something years ago. I mean, the women are getting blamed for complaining. Right. Like always. Or not even, I don't even know if complaining is the right word, but for pointing out that we're being punished for stuff that's not our fault. It's right. not our fault that men, and I know it's been said a million times to men who say not all men. We don't know. When we're walking down the street and we see you, we don't know if you're a good guy. We don't know if you're a bad guy. We only know that you could be either one. You know, you you always have to right. worry, is this, the per- is this person going to hurt me? I challenge any man to understand the feeling as a woman when you're walking down a dark street at night and hear somebody walking behind you. Or see somebody coming towards you. And you have to try to figure out in that moment whether to cross the street, what what to do. Also, and kind of lost in this, is the fact that that indecent exposure, whether they knew it was a cop or not, was just apparently not taken very seriously. I know. And any, any guy who is doing that is a threat. And things like that have to be taken more seriously. And that's one of the issues, that nothing is taken seriously until something really bad happens. It is not normal for a man to pull out his dick in public at people. And people who do that need to be gotten out of the public. If they knew it was him, it's going to be a huge fucking scandal if they knew it was him and he was still running around as a cop. I know. I would love to know what went on about that. I don't know if we ever will. Their privacy laws are much more strict. Mm. And, and I understand in some ways why they are. But on the other hand, laws like that tend to protect police and um Mm -hmm. and and my feeling is the only way you can really know what's going on and get the public to learn what's going on is to be transparent 
Especially when it's a police officer that's been arrested for right. something. It, it is kind of mind-boggling how quickly they were able to, less than a week, thanks to CCTV. I know. If it hadn't been for CCTV, I probably never would have been solved. I know, it's funny. A lot of people don't like the idea of it, and I can see why, but at the same time... It definitely helps when shit like this happens. And like even in the United States, they always look for businesses, video cameras and or people's like doorbell cameras and stuff. Right. right. Well, because... I just, as you know, just the other day with my stimulus check, I ordered two surveillance cameras Ooh. for my house just because it's. You know, the town is changing in a lot of places. That's a euphemism for, like, black people are moving in. But in my town, it's rich people buying property. Um, well, in Maine, all over Maine, that's what's Yeah, I know. I've written, I've written about it. But there's more people. There's there's some other things, too. I, I don't think I want to go into it publicly concerning yeah. a little town dispute that, that I, I'm i not worried about, but you never know. But also just as a single woman living alone, you know, a couple episodes ago I was yeah. joking about not locking my door, but I thought, why not have surveillance? You know, they're just well, little I home w- surveillance cameras. It's not, I don't I, have some system where I where it rings the police since there aren't any police in town anyway it would be pointless but i work with someone that has one of those ones that's connected to his you know his phone so it it alerts him and he's always he's always looking at it yeah that's what mine does and, uh, but maybe you'll get some... Well, see, I always like it when people get wildlife pictures out Well, there. I know, like, a couple years ago, around this time of year, there was still snow in my backyard. and There is now, but maybe it was a little later in the spring. There were tracks across my backyard that I'm sure were bare tracks. Ooh! Yeah, so that was... So. Well, I don't worry about anyone breaking in here because my next-door neighbor is constantly out in her yard smoking and talking on the phone pretty much 20 hours a day so (laughs) i think that if something were to happen she actually like where you live even though you live in a congested area of maine's biggest city is probably in some ways safer yeah i think it's safer than where i live i live we don't have a police department you never know how far away you know the state police and the sheriff's department take turns patrolling but they yeah, have a big area. it's quiet if somebody wanted to break into a house or something they could be confident that nobody would see them nobody walks down my street you know yeah, we, that's the thing it's not like you're gonna in the time we've been sitting here not one car has gone down my street you know the time we've been talking meanwhile mine you heard the traffic yeah, so anyway. Um, anyway, so. So I'll keep people posted on that. There's a lot more that could have been said. There's a lot more that will be said. But I wanted to at least get the basics out there. I hope he goes to trial because then we'll get all sorts of information. He, he is, yeah, on October 25th. I'll put and in the system. And their system is different than ours anyway. So you still get, like, yeah. here, if someone pleads guilty and they don't go to trial, a lot of times you don't find stuff out. Yeah. It seems so. That'll be interesting. Yeah. So, do you have a recommendation? Yes, I do. (laughs) Was there anything we were going to catch up on, though? Was I going to watch something or were you going to watch something? Did one of us watch something Mm, that the. No? Okay. Possibly, but, you know, um, 
It's not in my brain right now. Okay. So I watched on HBO. I'm actually not done. Sorry with it. So. Oh, I, I thought we learned our lesson about reviewing things. That, well, uh, no, it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, um, we found out it does, didn't we? Yes. For but some anyway, of the things. Go on. Okay. So I watched Murder on Middle Beach on HBO Max. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mom kind of watched with me, but she was, she didn't know what was going on because she and wasn't I, paying And I attention. just want to interject that I had watched this, I want to say maybe a couple months ago with the intention of doing an NNW and then something else came along and I'm hoping I can remember um, some of it as you go on. What it is, a young man whose mother was murdered, uh, I think 2008 or 2009, she was stabbed to death in her yard on Middle Beach in Connecticut, which is in Madison, Connecticut. It's an affluent community. It looks really pretty, actually. The murder has never been solved. So I'm going to go through the NNW first, and then we'll talk about it. Bad reenactments, no. Oh, and I want to say before I start, he's a student filmmaker and he's like 25 when it starts so so i'm not giving him a pass i'm just saying that, you know there might be some yeah, things i did find cause... parts of it self-indulgent yeah yeah but it is his story so right. you know whatever um so bad reenactments no uh there are no reenactments which i thought was good you know they talk about the murder and stuff but there aren't any thank god no reenactments narrative cliches I'm going to take half a point off. I'm probably giving him a break because it's his student status. There's a lot of that riding in the car talking shit that I yes. hate. That seems to be a staple of many documentaries these days. But otherwise, nothing else really bothered me. Racial gender obtuseness, I'm not taking any points off. This is an affluent community. It's all white privileged people. And they are obtuse about a lot of things, which we'll talk about later. But I don't think the narrative, I wouldn't say it was in the narrative. I would have said that the people in the, the documentary are. Lack of good visuals, no. There's a lot of good visuals in it. There's a lot of those drone shots, which I like. He entered versus uh, a lot of video from when he was a little baby and growing up and video of his mother and parents. And so... I'm going to say I don't have any points taken off for that. Missing pieces. I'm not taking a point off right now. I'm going to reserve the right to take one off maybe once I finish. Mm. I can't tell if any pieces are missing yet. because I can cause remember one I had, but I'll wait. We can talk about it at the end if you want. Okay. Inaccuracy, anachronism, no. There wasn't really any reason. He, there's no real narrator. It's just him him talking to people. Storytelling, I'm taking a point off. Mm. No. The timeline is of when things were videotaped is very chaotic it seems to have been filmed over a few years there wasn't really enough information maybe i think i'm also going to take a missing piece point off for now because of that and then we'll see there isn't enough information about when things were filmed when he was interviewing this person at what point and like for instance his aunt who's his mother's <laughs> sister he interviews her many different times over the over it looks like a span of a few years and the narrative isn't linear so i i'm taking a point off because i thought it was too confusing freshness 
I'm not taking any points off because I think, you know, I it wasn't something I had heard about. It was a big murder, but it was for the area, but it wasn't, you know, reported a lot up here. And if at all, maybe, you know, in the paper, a short blurb or something. I think he does a good job interviewing people and stuff. I thought it was fresh. Repetition, I'm going to say no. Any repetition is for maybe clarifying something. It isn't like the same old stuff over and over. Beating the drum, I'm not taking any points off for that. I feel like he might be a little bit, but, you know, he's cute and he's just trying to find out who killed his mom. Solve his mom's murder, right? So um, it's got a 7.5. I think it could have been cut down. A lot of things could have been cut out. Yeah. But it's not bad. I don't know if I'm going to, you how know. Many, how many episodes do you have left? Oh, uh, I think one. Uh, Has he gotten much into the stuff with his sister? A little bit, not okay. a lot. Uh, okay. she, she, it's the episode where he's talking to her, um, okay. and I don't think I finished that one. Okay, because so. the aunt thinks the sister did Yes, it. I know that. Yes, oh, okay. I, I saw that. So the part that annoyed me, still annoys me, is the the privilege of the women, his mother, his aunt, his aunts, and the mother's friends, and those is gaming tables. Yeah, they the had gifting table. They had a Ponzi yeah, scheme Ponzi going scheme. and pretended they didn't realize it was a Ponzi scheme. Uh, yeah, and it's it was a weird one because it, it would stop. It didn't keep going, and then they would start it up again. Even now, when the two women have served time in prison, two of them, and his mother probably would have too. Although they claim, one of his aunt claims if his mother hadn't been killed, they wouldn't have investigated it. But the FBI guy, which, so I give the kid credit for interviewing a lot of people. Like he interviewed the FBI guy and the guy said, no, we were already investigating it before the death. But these women are like, you know, I don't know why they say it's fraud. It's not fraud. And it's like you were taking money from people. Right. Like, it was a classic Ponzi scheme. I know. And, like, how can you I, not understand I that the people I, at the bottom will end up losing money? Right. It can't keep going forever right. and ever and ever. And everybody wins. That's not how right. it works. Their attitude it. was so annoying. Like, right. oh, don't they have any real crimes to solve? Right. I can't believe that. I think there was one. It's funny, just... Just the other day, I was driving, and all of a sudden, I'm like, what was that true crime doc I was watching with the women with the Ponzi scheme? And I can't I remember. I saw, and I did see the Oprah thing about it. I remembered. See, I didn't see that. So, anyways, I think his father had something to do with it, although... You, you have to you don't reserve know. your judgment until you watch the last episode. It I, could have something to do with that, because somebody could be friggin' nuts and be mad that she right. ripped them off. You don't you right, know. But, but you need to watch the last episode. Is all I'm saying. Ooh. No, okay. I'm, I just say I'm. I had a missing piece, and I can't remember the specifics. But it really bugged me, having to do with what happened the morning she was murdered. A question about the scene, the crime scene, in a coffee cup. I'll have to watch it again. The the uh, sequence oh, yeah. of events that would have made his aunt's theory not work the missing oh because the because the mother and yes the mother and the sister stopped to get coffee on the way to bring her to school right and so the aunt's theory was that they never left the house that but there's a coffee cup 
Yes, that Allie killed her and then went to school and then said, but if then there wouldn't have been a coffee cup there because his mother never would have gotten coffee. Right, right. So if her, the aunt, I wouldn't trust anything. The aunt has a lot of issues. I wanted it to be the father and I'm still not convinced it's not, but you do have to watch the last episode and I wish I could remember more because I had very, and I might've taken notes since I thought I was going to do an NNW. So I'll see if I can find them before. The other thing is the police in that town suck. What were they doing? Playing around with sex workers. They had a motorcycle gang. They were like just stealing gas (laughs) from, from the, they called it the town pump, but I guess it's, you know, that they probably had a gas pump for, for city yeah, a vehicles. Lot of towns hit, yeah. And they were just using that. And that, what else were they doing? Oh, they stole, they were like stealing food from buffets, like that said that they were stealing shrimp oh, for some so buffet. hard. They not only were lazy and not doing their job, but they just were horrible. They just sucked. Yeah. yeah I mean, so there was no chance. That's one thing oh, that's nice salt. about at least Maine, here yeah. in Maine. I mean, yeah. you got the state police coming in. Some of these states should have, maybe if it's a a population below a certain amount, or if the police force is below a certain amount of officers, they should they should have well, some kind of... every state does it their own I way, that's what makes America great. But anyway, I was thinking anyway of getting HBO back, because since I got rid of it, now I see all these things on it I want to watch. I know. Before I got rid of it, I was like, uh, it's always the same stuff. I've watched everything... There's nothing more interesting on here, and now they've put stuff on. I want to. I think so. that what's happened too is so much. So much stuff is going straight to streaming. But well, anyway, we should probably wrap so. this up before we go. I do want to give a special shout out to our fan Melanie from New Zealand. Hi, Melanie. She sent us a very nice note. She likes yes. us, and um, <laughs> not that we don't get fan mail. We do, but it was it was nice. It was nice to hear from somebody all the way over in New Zealand. And, yes. Um, you know, I often think that people we know don't listen to us. No, so they it's, don't. It's nice, except for our sister Liz. So it's well, nice that people we don't know listen to us. I guess the people we know just, yeah. Well, you they've know, my feeling is, right, they've heard enough of us. They're like, why the hell would I want to listen to an hour to two hours as <laughs> to when I can't even break in and argue with them or whatever that might be a good point though that might be why like family members don't except for liz all right everybody have a good night and i'm up next yeah i have no clue and you know our hundredth episode is coming up Uh, yeah so we'll have to think of something special to do okay maybe we'll have some cake except for now that you're taking goalie you're not gonna want cake <laughs> i'm gonna sl- i'm gonna be like slap no your thanks no and thanks. slap my hands and shake my head and like right. smile at myself like right. yeah and then do a little dance right if no one's ever seen that ad they won't know what that yeah means. but anyway okay. okay have a good night thanks for Bye-bye. listening <laughs>
I'm putting my thing up so I can read it. Okay. That's what he said. I don't said. know where my thing is. <laughs> my, what uh, whatchamacallit, to hold my piece of paper. Uh, ow. Okay, should we just start? Oh, my God. I'm trying to move like shit. Bounty ad. Well, tell me when you're what all settled. What bounty ad? When the with the people in the closet, the old that's people in the closet. Not bounty. That's whatever. Bounty. Whatever the fuck it is. I don't give it's a shit. Downy. Whatever. Okay. Just all let right. me know when you're yes, ready. Yes, I'm ready. Jesus. 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 Okay. Ready. Yes.